0: Round of applause, let's hear
1: it. All right, guys. This is what we call stalling because my reader's not even back yet. So, um, and I know I'm standing in between you guys and lunch and nobody wants to be that pole position, I guess, but um, appreciate everybody, appreciate being here. So uh, a couple things, so first off, uh, want to highlight something uh, at the beginning that uh, Trevor said in his intro, that uh, all of us speakers are clay, uh, just a little bit softer than most of these other guys in their chiseled bodies my ball of clay. Also, this morning, I had a literal shower thought. Uh, we didn't have hot water this morning over in our uh, neck of the woods, and I uh, was thinking about uh, the relative nature of time and eternity. Uh, because a 60-second freezing cold shower sure does feel like a long time when your coin purse is going up in you and your nipples feel so hard they could cut glass. and <laughs> You're going, this is forever. Come on, soap, get out of my hair. Um, but uh, just a blink of an eye when you think about it, 60 seconds in that cold water, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, worry today and uh, what that means in the economy of God and the kingdom of God. Um, but First, I want to offer you some thoughts doctor finds a mass on your body and schedules some tests and the world says we should worry. There's rumors of layoffs at work and the world says that you should worry. Financially, there's a significant expense that pops up and it's eaten away at the budget and you and your family aren't sure where the mortgage is going to get covered this next month. The world says you should worry. Our spouse or our child's in an accident and the doctors are trying to figure out the extent of those injuries and the world says we should worry. The news is talking about an illness going around and its potential mortality rates and the world says we should worry. An election's coming up and we're told that if the opposing candidate wins it will mean rampant inflation, job losses, etc. And the world says that we should worry. Your wife's expecting your third kid, and you live in a two-bedroom house, and there's not another place to put another body, and the world says that you should worry about a bigger place. You're unhappy at your job, and the world says that you should be worried about finding the next gig. So what's worry? Why do we do it? What does the Bible have to say about it? That's what we're going to dig into today. But first, let's pray. God, you are all-knowing and all-powerful. You are Lord. Nothing happens apart from your hand. Guide me as I deliver your message to these men today. Protect the men, impart truth in your Holy Spirit to them. If it's not your message, stifle it, suppress it, and let these men drop it at the door before they leave. If it's your message imprinted on their hearts, let us be changed men who seek to do your holy will. Amen. So guys, I'm going to do a little bit of reading first, and you're going to have to bear with me because I really couldn't choose between the two. There's a couple of spots that have some similarities between Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel. So I'm going to do some reading this morning for you guys, and I'm going to try and make sure I advance the slide to, like, maybe. Thanks, H. So we're going to start in Luke 12, uh, verses 13 to 34. It's a little bit of reading, so just bear with me here, guys. Now someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, You there, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over the two of you? But he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even one who is affluent does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of the rich man was very productive. And he began thinking to himself, What shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store up all my grains and my goods there. And I will say to myself, You have many goods stored up for many years to come. Relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is demanded of you. And as far as all that you have prepared, who will own it now? such is the one who stores up a treasure for himself and is not rich in relation to God. And he said to his disciples, sorry guys, and he said to his disciples, for this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life or as to what you are to eat, nor for your body as to what you are to wear, for your life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens that they neither sow nor reap, nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And which of you, being worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? Therefore, if you cannot do even a little thing, why do you worry about the other things? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither labor nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not uh, seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things are what the nations of the world eagerly seek. And your Father who knows that you need these things, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, because your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts that do not wear out. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor a moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will will also. Now, I'm going to jump over to Matthew 6. Very similar. But he starts out a little different. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor as to your body as to what you are to put on it. Very similar, right? skip down a little bit. You get after where he says in uh, verse 29, And yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will ye not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry saying, what will I eat or what will I drink or what will I wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we see a lot of similarities here. He's talking about temporal things, wealth and clothing, um, and what the world eagerly seeks after. He uses that word, the world, or Gentiles he uses later, and talks about them eagerly seeking these things. He talks about, calls them men of little faith when they worry about what they're gonna wear, or what they're gonna eat. The lead-ins are a little different though. The language is a little different, but he has some similarities about what what you're to seek. And he uses these words about the kingdom and treasure, where there's not a moth to destroy. Eternal treasure. So what's a kingdom? Jerry talked a little bit about how the early church tried to wed the faith with the kingdoms of the world. So let's just boil down what a kingdom is in general terms. There is a Lord... And over his people, his subjects, or the people in his subjugation, he has complete authority. And those people are to submit to what he decrees and what he wills. It's no different in the kingdom of God. If you want to do a study that really puts into perspective what the kingdom of God is, go through all the parables of Christ and what he says about the kingdom, how precious it is, how it grows where it is in the Lord's prayer it says your kingdom come your will be done and that's no different it's the will of the master the will of the authority the will of God in the kingdom of God so let's talk about the will of God and I felt pretty good about going into some of this because uh, Scott covered a little bit of this I think the other night Um, and he's a pretty smart guy so We'll go with some of that. So, God's will. I want to talk about first that I think men get overly concerned about the unknown will of God. But we have a tremendous amount of information about what the known will of God is. So, let's break that down. God has told us through his Bible what he expects. We know that God wants our obedience to his commands and what he deems to be goodness or righteousness. I got, uh, Craig, are you back in here? No? All right. Lost my reader. That's fine, though. So let's go through some, some verses here that talk about God's will and what he wants. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, Is that loose? Oh, man, I didn't know I did this. That's fun. I'm a PowerPoint novice, guys, so when I was putting this together, I didn't know I get to the fly these in. This is great. Alright, John fourteen, fifteen. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. James one twenty-two. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Romans twelve two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, part A. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Peter two fifteen, For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Sorry, that last one didn't fly up there. So the will of God is that we do his commandments, that we are obedient to him. That's the known will of God. We all know that. That's the truth in Scripture. If you fail to do what God objectively says, that's his will, he will discipline you. Which might mean not giving you insight into the subjective areas or the unknown will of God or what the Bible gives us freedom to choose. So when the Bible doesn't speak about something, we know as Christians that we have liberty to make decisions. And those decisions are ones where we want to choose the will of God. But if you've not followed him in the ones that he's told you about, you could be under his thumb or under his discipline. And in which case, you might not be able to discern what the unknown will of God is. I'm going to come up for air and ask if there's questions. Okay, seeing none. Okay, so short of sin, God allows us to choose certain things. And we are, when we are outside of what God deems best for you, this is what we refer to as his permissive will. God's still in control, but he's allowed you to do something. Your risk is that if you're not deeming something best, if you're deeming something as best and God is not, you're crossing a line of willfulness, your willfulness versus submission. So let's talk about some, some facts here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scroll these up one at a time here. So when an authority wants or wills the same thing as you, we're in agreement. Everybody follow that so far? So if God says, I want you to do X, and you say, yes, I would like to do X, that's great. You're in agreement. And this follows when you're in the commands of God as well, right? When, I'm just thinking of something, you don't have a struggle with a particular sin. God's blessed you, but you're in agreement. Your will is not different than his. So then, you can have, you and the authority want or will something different. There's two different outcomes or two different things that you want. But you choose yours, not the authority's. So you could be in sin or you could be in the permissive will of God. And to be honest with you, if God knows what's best for me, I don't think I want to be in either of those places. So you and authority want or will something different, two different outcomes or two different places you want to be. And you choose what the authority deems is best instead of your own. You take your will, and you trade it for his. That's called submission. And that's one of the most important pillars of what what we are doing here while we're being sanctified. We're learning to adopt his will and not our own. I'm gonna come up for air, because this is very important, guys. And if you've never heard it before, I wanna make sure that you understand it.
0: Number eight. So you're saying When we submit and do the will of God, it affects our sanctification, and that allows us to know
1: that God will reveal his unknown things for us? Let me unpack that a little bit, because first I want to clarify. I'm not saying that will be part of our sanctification. That is sanctification. Submission is sanctification. The areas where I agree with him, we have no problem. The areas where I disagree, that's where the problem lies. If I want something different than what somebody that has full authority, full power, full knowledge wants, our God, that's where there's a problem. Now, the second part of your question, and I think I understand where you're going with this, and you said uh, you could be in the permissive will of God. So God gave us free will. I'm not going to unpack this completely, that there's, A fully sovereign God and and we have full but both things the Bible says are true and so as a result he gives us the ability to choose and when that comes to the level of sin we know what's what's best what God has deemed best he says do this don't do this that's the known will of God when he gives you a choice where will I live Uh, what am I going to eat for breakfast this morning I don't know how many people piled everything at that buffet on their table, but some people maybe said, maybe that's not good for me. Maybe I'll just have this fruit cup at the end of the buffet. But he's giving you those things to choose. There's neutrality. The Bible doesn't say that they're right or wrong. But I'm telling you that the process of you deciding what's best is what God cares most about. And so when we get to this level of, am I going to choose what I want solely or am I going to adopt the will of the Father? There's going to be moments where we don't know exactly what's best, but we want to make sure that we're doing our best in that process to know as best as we can. If you're in sin, though, you will be disciplined and God may withhold revelation to you. And it's going to be harder for you to know what God deems best in these areas of freedom or liberty. Other questions? Because again, this is very pivotal. Trevor. James.
0: James, do you have an example of what could be God's permissive will versus his perfect will?
1: I'll give an example from my own life. Um, I really wanted a deal at work, so much so to hit a number that I didn't sin, but I pushed really, really hard, harder than I normally would, and I wasn't extremely loving in doing it. And there was a gnawing at my at my gut, and I signed the deal up anyways. And that deal. Couldn't have gone more south. I mean, just bad. The customer was difficult. They made difficulties for our team. Just all around, it was a bad, bad situation. I had asked God for that deal in my prayers, to hit a number. And he gave it to me. He gave me a chance to back out several times in retrospect. And I pushed forward anyways. The deal was neutral. Neutral was a deal i didn't do anything unethical i didn't violate any commands of god but i pushed and i got it and sometimes god will give you what you ask for and then that will test you even more and through that i had to deal with patience i had to go back to that customer at times and beg would you like to leave i would like you to leave at this point it was difficult but god let it happen And it was still in his perfect sovereign will, which we're going to talk about in a minute. He gave it to me, and despite the fact that I did not like it, I now had to deal with it. Does that answer your question, Trevor? Thanks. So, I'm going to say this. We may agree in principle that we want what God wants. All of us here at some point prayed the prayer. We said, you're God, I'm not right? But when the rubber meets the road, I'm going to tell you that submission and getting into a mindset of submission is the only hope of what we have of consistently getting it right. If we can't do it in the strict known will of God, as we just talked about, the commands, we're going to have a real problem when it comes to these permissive will gray areas, these liberty areas. Because if we don't have a mindset of submission, we're going to think first for ourselves. We're going to strive for the things that we want rather than the things that God wants. So let's talk about worry. It's a good preamble. We haven't even mentioned that word once since the title slide, right? So I'm going to give you a, bit a dictionary definition of worry. And then we're gonna go look at what that word worry was from Luke uh, 12 and Matthew 6, uh, from the Strong's Concordance. And then I have another Greek word that we're gonna go look at from Luke 12 and Matthew 6 from the Strong's Concordance as well. So worry, uh, dictionary definition, to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on coming difficulties or troubles whether actual or perceived. I'll repeat that. To give way to anxiety or unease. To allow one's mind to dwell on coming difficulties or troubles, whether actual or perceived. So we think about the layoff. We think about the test. And our mind is automatically thinking about all the possibilities, all the outcomes. And there comes this dwelling and this anxiety and this unease about not knowing the end. The word worry in Luke 12 and in Matthew 6 is uh, from Strong's Concordance. It's merimai, merimai. And if you guys don't know how to use Strong's Concordance, that's G3309. So every Greek word in the New Testament has a G and then a number. You can go look it up. Be anxious troubled with cares, care of promoting one's interest. That's the Strong's Concordance definition. To be anxious, troubled with cares, care of promoting one's interest. We also see in the, those uh, verses that I read, seek, zeteo, that's G22.12. It means to seek, to go after, to desire, to crave, to demand. So we talked a lot, or Scott talked a lot last night about desire and covetousness. Nailed it down pretty good. I'm going to say where I think this word, zateo gets is when you get to that word demand. And now we're talking about control and who has authority. And we'll go back to the, the three Three-part phrase, do I agree, do I disagree? And if I disagree, what am I going to choose? Or am I going to submit? My own interest, my own demand, my own idea, what I want to control, or that. So we do it because we're fixated on outcomes and frankly control. That's why we worry. What we want, the desires we have inbuilt, they come to roost. Proverbs 14, 12 to 16 says, But there is a way which seems right to a man, to a person, but in the end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain and the end of joy may be grief. One with a wayward heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good person will be satisfied with his. The naive believes everything, but the sensible person considers his steps. A wise person is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. We have a bend in our souls. I've heard it many times, probably from many teachers if you've come to one of these retreats. And so we want the things we want. We have these desires, and the world's bent them and corrupted them and perverted them. We roll over to lust, as Ray talked about this morning. So, why are we commanded to ever do the opposite of what we want to do? And so, we'll go back to the idea of a kingdom. And another word for a king or a lord is a sovereign. That means somebody who's in control, that has sovereignty over the subjects. God is not only in control, but we know from his word that he's good. And if that's true, then we shouldn't have concerns about outcomes because if they're in his control, they are in our best interest and they're preordained from a loving God. So let's look at some scripture. So Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. Yeah, awesome. I hate the sound of my voice on recording, so we're going to break it up a little bit here and there with Craig's uh, for the sake of posterity. Go ahead there, Craig. Remember the former
0: things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none Like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done Saying my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure How about the next verse there 40 Isaiah 45 7 the one forming light and creating darkness Causing well-being and creating disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things
1: point out here this isn't just the things we want. I'm not sure you guys understand this, but disaster, calamity, however the translation goes, those don't seem to be things that I would choose willingly to walk into. But that means everything is under his thumb. How about the next verse there?
0: First Chronicles 29.11 Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty Indeed everything that is in the heavens and on earth yours is the dominion lord you exalt yourself as head over all
1: Give me the next one too. Daniel 435
0: Daniel 435 all the inhabitants of the earth Are of no account, but he does according to his will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth And no one can fend off his hand or say to him. What have you done?
1: I'm we'll jump into New Testament.
0: Ephesians 1, 11, and 12. In him we also have ob- obtained the inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory.
1: And last one there
0: for me. Romans 8:28 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose.
1: So we see God is sovereign over everything, and we see that he's good. He seeks our best interest, especially from those last two verses. Words like predestined, that's a sovereignty word if you ever see it. it means it happened. It's going to happen, and by the thumb of God, it's going to happen. And it's by the way, according to purpose and His plan and His will, and it's for uh, for our first hope, right? It talks about, and then in eight twenty-eight, for uh, for the good of those who love God, to those who are called, again predestined, to His purpose. So God's good, and God's in control. So the problem man has is God got there first, as I've heard some wiser men than me say. And what happens is when we get through and we see these outcomes and we're focused on them and we're not in submission and we want different, you can end up with things like anger, <clears throat> discontentment like Scott talked about last night, and disappointment. And what's really happening is we're disagreeing with how a sovereign God is running his universe when that happens. Say that one more time. If you're upset, discontent, disappointed, angry with an outcome, you're disagreeing with how a sovereign God is running his universe. And I'll just direct your attention to Job. And based on time, I'm not gonna go through all these verses, but I'm gonna highlight them for you. Take some time, go to Job chapter 38, to 39.30. And then hear what Job says in 40, 1 to 5. And then God jumps in and says, Oh, no, buddy. Chapter 40, verse 6 to 41.34. And what happens is Job says to him, Oh, well, you know, I, you know I, yeah, I didn't think that this was good. And obviously when The world sees, your family is dying, your crops are taken from you, you've got boils all over your body. They say, oh, that's not good. And he got bad advice from friends, all this stuff, but even in the end, he wouldn't curse God for what was happening to him, but he also didn't want it. And he didn't see it from God as goodness. And so then he jumps in and he says, well, you know, I really just you know, I had a hard time with this. And God says, Well, first off, at first, God chastised him and says, Don't you know who I am? He says, Gird your loins like a man. Sack up, buddy, because I'm going to tell you who I am. And he proceeds to tell him about all the things he's done, created, his sovereignty, everything under his thumb. And then Job says, eh, Well, really didn't have, I don't have an excuse then. You're right. And the He says, no, no, maybe you didn't hear me the first time. Gird your loins one more time because I'm going to tell you who I am. And then finally, Job confesses and repents. And that's in 41, 1 to 6. So go take some time and and look at that on your own, guys, because we don't have time to go through all those verses, but really um, puts it into perspective about this idea of outcomes. So let's go back to worry, right? The things that haven't even happened yet. Think about how silly it is that you're thinking about what you perceive to be the worst possible outcome coming to fruition, and you're fixated on that outcome, and it might not even happen. You don't get laid off. The mass was benign. Your kid or your spouse pulls through it. Some other bozo gets elected president of the United States and your life doesn't even change. Your day-to-day is still exactly the same. God will have ordained it to be so no matter what happened. And so your fixation on this maybe or this could have or this would have, it's complete rubbish. And you're commanded not to do it in Luke 12 and Matthew 6. So let's talk about the things we can't control. And then I'm gonna finish up and we're gonna... Actually, real, uh, real quick, I want to run through these quick verses here. Craig, you're such a good reader. Thanks, buddy. Proverbs 19:21. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the advice of the Lord will stand. I've heard that explained. The plans are man's, but the odds are God's. You're thinking about this outcome and what you want, but God's going to ordain it to be the way he wants it to be. A sovereign God will put it in its place. How about the next verse? James 4:13 through
0: 15. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, but you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say if the Lord wills
1: we will live and also do this or that. Again God doesn't Tell us everything. He leaves gray area. He leaves liberty in his word. You can go do business somewhere. You can go expand your business down to a place. But don't say this is going to happen. If God wills it, let's go with that. And by the way, that word there, vapor, go, go look at that word. It means, Puh. like when you go out and you breathe and then it's gone, just vanishes. Really puts it into perspective of who we are about Roman, uh, the next one there, Romans nine twenty to 21? Yes, on the contrary,
0: contrary, who are you, you foolish person, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter not have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one object for honorable use and then another for common use?
1: And that's the thing. So even if you're willing to admit, right, that you're under a sovereign God's, thumb, uh, sovereign God's thumb, and then you want to thumb your nose back about what you don't like or what you don't want, who's the clay to tell the potter the way it should be? There was Job's error. Era. There was Job's problem. So let's talk about the things we can't control. So um, what do we control? Effort. How hard we work and what we go after. So we do get to control our work, our efforts, what we seek, we'll come back to that in a minute. We control our attitude. I've heard people talk about happiness already this weekend. And happiness has the same root root word as happenstance or things that may occur. It means that you're dependent on the situation for how you feel. Joyfulness, in every sense of the word from biblical standards, is about your um, exution glorifying back despite circumstances so no matter what's going on you have control over your attitude and the last one and I put a little asterisk next to this one obedience Foregoing my desires for something else and I put the asterisk next to there because I do um, intend that while all these things are in our control that we need help <laughs> desperately And that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that Christ gave us, that counselor, to seek after these things correctly. So, that's great, James. You told us a lot about problems and a sovereign God, and you told us about not to worry. So, what what the heck are we supposed to do here, right? So, I'm going to boil this down to the three Ps. Purpose, position, and prayer. So, the first one, purpose. We've talked about that already here a lot today. What do you seek? Are you seeking the kingdom of God, the growth of it? Are you going after 2 Timothy 2 2? Do you crave it? That word seek means to crave it, demand it, desire it. Do you want it as bad? Real quick, I want to do a quick exercise. How am I doing on time, Trevor? I know I'm 1215, but, but. okay. All right, we're going to do an exercise. Um, Who here has ever heard that uh, silly thing where somebody says, hey, you want $2 million? Or do you want me to give you a penny and double it every day for 30 days? (laughs) Anybody hear that? Anybody? Okay. Uh, Anybody that's near a mic, raise your hand real quick. Noah, raise your hand. Do you know how, be- grab a mic real quick. Do you know how much a penny is if you double it every 30 days? And if you don't know exactly, you could ballpark it.
0: Is this working? Yeah, yeah,
1: there we go. 4 billion. 4 million, close. It's definitely above 2 million. It's 5.3 million, $5.36 million. Okay. So let's take the penny and set it aside for a second. I want every guy that's under the age of 25 to stand up real quick. Okay, so we got about 10, 11 guys. All right, sit down. 25 to 50, stand up for me real quick. All right, go ahead, sit down. All right, 50 plus. Go on, guys. Somebody help them up. All right. All right. Trevor, how many guys are registered for this retreat? Uh, 99. 99. So just shy of 100. I saw primarily mostly guys between 25 and, uh, and 50. A H- handful of guys above 60, but we, we kind of blended that together. I could have broke it down more. So... Average in this room, are we okay to say maybe there's probably 30 years left of ministry average for everybody in this room left? Everybody agree? 30 years, roughly. If we're gonna live to be 80, maybe like average life expectancy. Okay.
0: All right.
1: So I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I've told many guys this in this room, but I started a fraternity when I was in college. We had a rule when it came to Rush. Rush meant how you recruited guys to be a part of your fraternity. And the rule was MGAM. Every man gets a man. And that was supposed to be every, every semester. So twice a year, you were required to go recruit two guys to be a part of the fraternity. And some guys didn't do that. Some guys took it way more seriously. and got way more than one guy. But MGAM was the standard. Every man gets a man. So if we go out there, And there's 30 years left of ministry average left for every man in this room. And every one of us seeks to make one guy a disciple every year. And to get him through the materials and get him stood up on his own and tell him, go do the same thing. So now we're talking about multiplication again, which you've heard, right? And if everybody does that for 30 years and there's 100 guys in this room, not one penny we started with, but 100 pennies. Way more than 250,000 men, way more. Now some aren't gonna come along and some aren't gonna follow follow through. But if we try and hold ourselves to that standard to go get a man, every man gets a man, and we're focused on that and we crave it and we desire it, way more than 250,000 followers, guys. It'll be so beautiful. Let's talk about the second P. I'm gonna skip some verses here, guys. I just talking a little bit here about what we seek. You can go look these verses up. Psalm 10:4, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Second P position. We talked a lot about God's sovereignty today and his goodness. I am a slave, a bondservant. Paul recognizes every time he writes a letter to, to a, a group. He is a slave to Christ. He is Lord. I am not. I don't know if you guys think too much about slavery because we live in a world where it supposedly doesn't exist anymore. It certainly doesn't in the U.S. But we don't think in terms of a slave. And I know that a lot of Christendom, to use uh, Jerry's term from earlier, they talk a lot about being friends with God. And despite the fact that he chooses me to be his friend, I'm his slave. He calls us sons and daughters, but we must not forget our place, our position to him. And this will affect you with worry and dealing with outcomes, most assuredly. I'm going to go to Revelation 4.11, and I'll read this one. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, in this last part here, and because of your will they existed and were created. That means me and you. How about the next one there? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. Craig, can you read that for me? Give me a break on my voice here, bud. Yes. But blessed is the one who trusts
0: in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a
1: year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. When we think about position, I want you guys to remember that God's sovereign and he's good. And because of these last two verses, we can trust him and we can have security in doing so. Last P, prayer. Our position is to be thankful and joyful. I've talked about that already. With submission, our desires or outcomes are not happening. His are. And we need to come to terms that God is good and in control, and not simply mouth these things and these statements. And I believe that prayer is one of our most effective tools in coming to those terms. So we've got some verses here. Let's read. uh, Craig, still give me a break on the voice here. How about 1 Peter 5-7?
0: Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Psalm 55.22. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Philippians 4.6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request, let your request be known to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ
1: Jesus. That's a promise there guys, right? It's a command followed by a promise. How about Psalm ninety-four, nineteen? When your anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. And last one, um, right before that, it says pray unceasingly in, in verse 17, but read me First Thessalonians 5.18.
0: And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.
1: Purpose, position, prayer. That's our antidote to worry. Struggles don't go away, guys, when you become a Christian. As much as everybody wants to paint that picture, there's still things that come into your life because we are still being sanctified. We want something opposite. We want pleasure, not pain. But it comes. God promises it, promises persecution. He promises struggle. But it's for your refinement. So I'm going to leave you with an allegory here, and then we'll go grab some grub altogether. We're going to talk about the potato, the egg, and the coffee beans, okay? Who here had coffee this morning? Thank God for coffee. Um, all go into the same boiling pot. The potato's hard. Real hard, right? I got to tell you, I was definitely a potato pre-Christ. So hard. Potato goes into the pot it gets soft and mushy. Egg, fragile, delicate. It doesn't know what's coming. It goes into the pot. It comes out hard, unrelenting. Coffee goes into the same boiling water, and the coffee changes the world around it. It doesn't let. It doesn't let the the bad circumstances permeate everywhere else. So I don't want to be a potato anymore. I certainly don't want any of you that aren't understanding of how God's sovereign over outcomes to be fragile as the egg and go in and be hardened and not understand, be angry and discontent. We need to be the coffee beans, right? We need to go in, understand that these are sovereignty things from God and be changed and sanctified and then exhibit that to the world around us and our disciples. Thanks, man.